0: So we've been uh, lately, if you've been with us lately, we've been going through this series called Unexpected Gifts. What we've been doing is more or less we've been looking at when Jesus, when the Messiah decides to come to our earth, which by the way is the true meaning of the holiday we all will uh, celebrate this week. When Jesus comes to this earth, there are massive implications to that, and there's all kinds of unexpected things that happened as a result. So for the last three weeks, we've been talking about all of the unexpected ways. It was extremely unexpected that the Messiah, that the Savior, the hero of all of our stories would choose to come in the form of a baby, an infant, not like this mighty warrior with a sword and a shield coming down out of the clouds, but a baby. That's crazy. The week after that, we talked about how unexpected it is that God brought with him not just the snap of a finger and everything is all good, but instead brought with him through his son, his kingdom, a kingdom that is freely offered to each of us as we stand on this earth. And then last week, we talked about how the next unexpected thing is when Jesus comes again. Because this season is just as much about Christ's second coming as it is his first. When Jesus comes again, we will all be invited. Those of us who have professed his name with our mouth and our hearts, we will all be invited into gates that are wide open. A city that is inconceivable. and We'll all be invited in. What I want to do this morning is I want to wrap that up in the vein of unexpected gifts For me, one of the most unexpected gifts since we're talking about Christmas, since we're talking about a time where you like open presents and stuff. For me, one of the most unexpected gifts uh, came when I was 16 years old. Possibly the greatest gift I ever received prior to, of course, meeting my wife and then having our two daughters. This is probably the best thing up to this point that could have happened to me. Not because of it itself, but because of all that came as a result of it. When I was 16 years old, my dad uh, came to me and he's he's like, son, I want to tell you something. Uh, I got you a car today. Now, before you get all excited, like, dang, that's a great car. I gotta tell you about this car. See, those of you who know my dad know that he used to be a hustler. My dad used to have this habit of convincing people to give him things for a dollar. Good. He was pretty good at it, right? We're all sitting in one of those things, but. He had this habit of convincing people to give him things for a dollar. And so so he said, I got this car for a dollar. And then he showed me this picture. This is a 1980 Datsun 280ZX. Have any of you ever heard of that car? No, heck no, you haven't. You're lying. But this is what the car, he shows me this picture. And parents... If you ever want to guarantee that your kid never has more than one other passenger in the car, get them a car like this because it only fits two people. Uh But I was geeked. I was like, hey, I can roll in that. That's cool with me. 2006, I can roll in that. I can roll in something that's older than me. This is great. He showed me a picture. Uh Now, the fact that he got it for a dollar and I said, that's the car. And he's like, yeah, that's what it looks like. Should have been, should have been the hint. I remember the day this car got wheeled into our driveway and rolled off of the trailer. It ain't look nothing like that. It was, in fact, that car. But that's not the condition it was in. This car had a completely rusted out bottom. Like, I'm not playing. Like, if you dropped a quarter inside the car, that quarter was on the actual earth ground. That car did not start. And as a matter of fact, it was so rusty on the inside, the ignition wouldn't, the key would not actually fit into the ignition. (laughs) (laughs) I'm with you still, right? And, oh, yeah, this car was stick shift. Anybody in here know how to drive a stick shift? You're lying. (laughs) Nobody knows how to actually drive a stick shift. And I sure as heck didn't, not at 16. And then I was like, all right, but we can at least get some, like, air circulate. Nope, can't do that all right, we can at least get the radio going. Nope, there wasn't even a battery. Like you opened the hood and there was just an empty plate where the battery was supposed to be. And oh yeah, did I mention what the heck was that smell? He said, well, there might be a dead mouse or two in there. So hands me a small trash bag and says, clean it up. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. My dad told me that day, he said, I'm going to give you this. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) He said, but more importantly, I'm going to show you how to fix it. I'm going to show you how to drive it. And you are going to be the one to restore this car back to what it originally was. When my dad saw the condition of this car, he did not see the current condition of the car. He saw that. And he had a vision. Said, so "You are going to be the one to restore this car. You go. You're going to get your hands dirty, and you're going to know from now on. Anytime you see somebody broke down on the side of the road, you're going to know how to fix it." Okay. Now, this isn't a perfect illustration, however, because the car never actually made it off the cinder blocks in the garage. But I think you get where I'm going. Today is a day that we celebrate the fact that a long time ago when God saw the world, it was true then just like it is today. That even though we were broke down, no energy, no beauty, yes, sir. no functionality, a rusted out bottom, God saw something worth restoring. God saw something that not only could be salvaged, but was worth salvaging. And so God decided to send his son, Jesus, to come to this earth and to freely offer new life. Jesus came, and rather than overthrow the evil in all the world all at once, he came as an infant. He lived as the example of how we are to go through this life. And on his way to providing the greatest gift of all, our salvation. On his way to providing said gift, he gave us so many other things. If we truly are going to celebrate that Jesus came to us, we should do so by observing all the gifts Jesus came to share with us on his way to providing our salvation. And I believe that if we do so, we will find that Jesus did not only come to give us life... But he came to give us something to do with our life. What we're going to do today is a little different than normal. I'm just going to provide an overview. There's no way, guys. There's no way Jesus came and did so many incredible things. There's no way I can capture in a reasonable amount of time all of the amazing things that he did. But I want to give you a picture. So we're going to go. This is going to be a 30,000 flight view sermon. I understand it's not going to get into the depths, but I need us to understand just one tiny portion of what he did. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Luke chapter 5, shortly after Jesus is baptized, he gets ready to set out officially to start his ministry. And Luke, the gospel of Luke is so incredible because Luke was a doctor. And so I'm sure his handwriting was terrible, but his attention to detail was immaculate. He focused on so many other details that none of the other gospels are able to provide us, which is why in instances like this, it's awesome to focus on Luke. And we see in Luke chapter 5, Jesus just goes on this healing spree. Of course the doctor records that, right? In one of the first instances we see of Jesus' healing, we read in verse 13, Jesus is talking to a man who had been paralyzed. Oh, excuse me, to a man who had leprosy. Leprosy is this nasty disease that caused the rest of the town and their officials to make you an outcast. They're like, no, 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 you can't come in here. Uh, they viewed leprosy similar to how our society viewed AIDS in like the 90s. They didn't know anything about it. If somebody had it, it was a death sentence. You were an outcast and don't even touch that person. And it didn't matter who you were. In the 90s, one of the greatest basketball players of all time had to retire because people didn't want to play against him or touch him because they thought he had AIDS. That's the same way leprosy was treated. I don't want to be around you. I don't want to sniff the same air that you're sniffing. But when he heard Jesus was coming, he comes running out. He throws himself before him and he's like, if you would be willing, I've suffered for a very long time. If you would be willing, I would love to be healed. Jesus in verse 13 reaches out and touches him. I can't even focus enough time and energy on how big that is. He touches him. Jesus says, I'm willing, be healed. And instantly, Scripture says, the leprosy was healed, gone. Just like that. One of the gifts Jesus gives when he brings life is the ability to heal and be healed. The good news of Jesus includes him healing what we believe to be the most incurable parts of ourselves. How many of us in the, here this morning are sick? How many of us here this morning feel as if we have untouchable parts of ourselves? That there are parts that if we're actually exposed, nobody would want to be near us. There are parts of us that if they were actually exposed, people would cast us out, be like, you got to retire, you got to get out of here, you got to go somewhere else with that because I'm not, I'm not rocking with all of that. The good news about Jesus is that he touches those very parts of our lives. Jesus came to heal those parts of our lives. Right after that, still in Luke chapter 5, the very next passage in Scripture shows Jesus teaching in a house full of people. There's a few friends who had a paralyzed buddy, and they wanted to get him in front of Jesus. But, man, it was way too crowded, way too crowded, not getting in there. Oh, but hold up. You know that friend. We all have a friend that's got the, that gets those crazy ideas. You pull up, a ways blocked. You're like, oh, got to turn around and go home. But then you've got that one friend that's like, nah, let's go over it. Yes, and if you don't have that friend, you probably are that friend. <laughs> Luckily for this paralyzed man, he had a friend like that. He's like, nah, we're not letting this crowd defer us. See, there's a staircase that's built on the side of that house. I'm going to carry you up it. I'm going to break a hole in the ceiling, and I'm going to lower you on down. You're going to be right there in front of Jesus. You're going to have a better seat than anybody else. So that's what they did. And they dropped their paralyzed friend, just, just dropped him right down the roof. Imagine that, falling, flopping right in front of Jesus, and then just looking up like, what's up? And in verse 20, Jesus looks at the young man. He says, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. And yeah, he healed him. But the far more controversial thing here was that Jesus saw the sins of this individual who had faith. And Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Man, that flipped the religious teachers out. They were like, he can't say that. He can't do that. Only God can forgive sins. He can't. One of the gifts Jesus gives when he brings life is the forgiveness of our sins. We all have things in our life that hold, that hold us back. For some of us, they're generational. We inherited them. We call them curses. For others, they're situational. But when Jesus comes... Jesus brings the right and the ability to no longer be a slave. Jesus brings the right and the ability to no longer be a victim of your circumstance. Jesus can look at the things that have long held us back. The thing that we've long tried to kick. The thing that if we could just get over. Jesus comes to forgive those things. A little bit further ahead in the Gospel of Luke, we find Jesus and his boys, they, they, they get on a boat. And while they're out on the lake, Jesus decides, whew, I'm going to go take a nap. I'm going to hit this nap real quick. Y'all make sure nothing crazy happens. I'm out. He goes down. He goes to sleep. While he's asleep, a big old storm hits. Yeah. Just tossing this boat back and forth. Lake is wild. Disciples are freaking out. They don't know how they're going to survive this mess. More importantly, how the heck are you asleep right now? Any of you have a friend that could just sleep through anything? They're like, we're in the middle of a storm. I'm legitimately fearing my life, and my bro down here is sleep. Luke chapter 8, verse 24 says, The disciples went and woke him up, shouting, Master, Master, we're going to drown. When Jesus casually just wakes up, stretches his arms, rubs his eyes, does a little yawn, comes up. And it says he rebuked the wind and the raging wave and the storm stopped and all was calm. Huh. One of the gifts Jesus gives when he brings life is he calms the storms of our lives. When you're at the end of the month, you got five more days to feed your kids, but you don't have five more days worth of a check. That's a storm. When you go to school and everybody's looking at you crooked and that thing that you told your friend last night that you didn't think they told, but in fact they did tell, and now it's on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, and everything else, and everybody's looking at you crooked. You don't know how you're going to get out of this mess because now everybody knows that's a storm. That instance where you graduate from high school or you graduate from college but nobody along the way told you what it was like when you got into the real world and now all of a sudden you've been smacked down on your butt and you have no time, no resources, no family, no friends, and you're just not quite sure how you're going to make a living, that's a storm. When Jesus comes, Jesus brings the ability for the storm to be calm. Jesus offers a peace. Jesus offers an ability to be not stoic, but unwavering in the craziest of situations. Jesus doesn't get nervous about the storms of our lives. Jesus could sleep through the storms of our lives. And if he can command and control the weather, that you can't pay the dude on channel 5 enough to predict correctly, then he can certainly command and control the storms of our lives. Right after that, in Luke chapter 8, when they get to the other side of the lake, they step out of the boat and this demon-possessed man just comes and throws himself at Jesus' feet. Starts screaming and squealing and doing all this crazy stuff. For a long time, this man had been homeless, naked, and living in a cemetery. Society would have looked at him and said he's crazy. Society would have looked at him and said he's too far gone. Society would have looked at him and said, oh, here comes such and such again. Man, I wish they would just find, find a nice shelter or something to go to. Man, I wish they would have just, you know what I'm saying, like just get the help they need. Why can't they get clean? Sometimes people are wrestling with demons. Sometimes we try to apply a simple solution to a situation that's not that simple. Why can't you just get clean? We don't know the demons that they're wrestling with. And when Jesus encountered this man and looked at him and says, what is your name? It was the demons that responded, not the individual. Wow. And what they told him, he said, we're legion. We are legion, meaning there was multiple. There was plural. We want to try and act like there's just one tiny thing to get over. There's just one spirit to go ahead and rebuke. When in all reality, many of us are wrestling with a whole slew of demons that have piled up over years. But what Jesus does, in verse 33, is he's like, y'all got to go. And the scriptures say, then the demons came out of the man and entered some pigs that were nearby. And the entire herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned. They were gone. 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 Jesus saw the situation and pulled those things right out of that man. One of the gifts Jesus gives when he brings life is the expelling of all evil. A lot of times the narrative that I hear in our city is that a person or a particular neighborhood or a place as a whole is too far gone. Don't go there after such and such a time. Don't talk to them. Something is too far beyond. There's just too much darkness there. But the beautiful thing about Jesus, the good news about Jesus, is that whatever room He enters, darkness has got to go somewhere else. Amen. Too often we walk into a room, get an eerie feeling, and then we slide our way on out the room. But when Jesus walks in the room, it's the other way around. Right. That darkness has got to clear out no person, no place that, sh- that we regularly enter. It's too dark. It's too far gone. Jesus brings the light. A little bit further on, one of my favorite passages in all of scriptures in Luke chapter 15. Because in Luke 15, we see three stories. We see three illustrations of Jesus' heart. In verse 4, he's talking about a shepherd. and says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that's lost until he finds it? In verse 8, he's talking about somebody who's lost a little bit of money. He says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and and she loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And then in one of the best stories of all after that, it's the story of a son Who asked his father for his inheritance early. Said, pops, I'm not trying to wait till you croak. I need it now and I'm going to go ahead and get on out of here. And he lives terribly and he blows all his money. And he eats with pigs and he's got nowhere to go. And he shamefully decides to return home. But verse 20 says the son returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, while he was still out there, meaning the father was just sitting on his front porch after all these years just waiting and hoping and praying to see the silhouette of his long-lost son, says while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. He didn't punch him in the mouth. He didn't give him a stern talking to. He didn't spank him. He didn't smack him. He didn't do any of that. He embraced him. And he kissed him. And he said, welcome home. One of the gifts Jesus gives when he brings life is that he goes after the lost. A lot of times we can feel lost. We can feel isolated. We can feel like everyone else hasn't figured, figured it out. We can feel like everyone else is blessed, everyone else is happy, everyone else is having a great stinking Christmas, and they don't understand. But the truth we need to know this morning is when we feel that way, if we are lost, if we are isolated, the good news is Jesus is relentlessly pursuing you. Relentlessly. He will leave all, all those who, quote-unquote, haven't it figured it out. He'll come find you. He doesn't have to find you. He knows right where you're at. He's waiting for you to turn around and realize he's been walking behind you the whole way. Amen. Last instance I want to look at is in Luke chapter 22. It's in the garden before Jesus gets arrested. He knows what's coming. It's about to be brutal. He's about to get beaten for a whole, lot of, a whole lot of days. He's about to get drug in front of the whole city. He's about to get put on trial, and it's not going to be a fair trial. They've already stacked the jury. They already know what they're going to do with him. They're going to hang him on a cross. They're going to kill him. They're going to put his body in a grave because, thank goodness, we finally got rid of that guy. And he's praying to his father, and he says this in verse 42. He says, Father, if you're willing, no kidding, please take this cup of suffering away from me. If there is any other way for this to go down, please let it go down that way. If I don't have to get beaten, don't let me get beaten. If I don't have to be killed, don't let me get killed. If I don't have to be stuffed in a tomb that's too small to contain your power, then please don't let me get stuffed in a tomb that's too small to contain your power. But I want your will to be done, not mine. It is truly a gift that one of the gifts Jesus gives when he brings life is his submission to the Father. That's a gift. Because his submission, had he strayed from the Father's will, we're not saved. Had he done what any of us would have done in many of these situations, ooh, that man stink. I'm not eating with him. no, 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 no. I'm a Jew. I don't rock with Samaria. We don't go over there. Let's go around oh, you're trying to give me everything. You're trying to give me the riches. I can bypass all the struggling and the, and the suffering and I can just go ahead and get rich quick. Yep, I'm going to go that way. Had he done any of those things, we are not saved. Jesus chooses to submit. Many of us are facing hard situations outside these walls. Guys, when you feel God's direction, it's never easy, but it's always best to follow the prompting of the Spirit. It's never easy to answer God's phone call when He's telling you, I need to go, I need you to go this way. It's never easy to answer that call, but it's always the best. Amen. These are only some, some of the many things. Jesus gives us on his way to bringing new life. But here's the pivot right here. This is the pivot point right here. In the extension, I would say this is, this is Acts, is Luke's gospel, the extended version, because he wrote them both. Here's the pivot point. In the book of Acts... Luke says this, after Jesus got up out of the tomb, the tomb that was supposed to hold his body forever, but man, y'all know it can't. He went ahead and walked up out of there. He's appearing to his disciples. He's getting ready to go up to heaven for the last time. They're expecting to go with him because you rose. You said, we're going with you. Here comes the kingdom. We're all coming. And he's like, no, 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 no. I'm going by myself. But here's the thing. Verse eight, you will receive power. Somebody say power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. I'm not talking about just a whisper in your home. I'm talking about in Jerusalem, which is like the whole city. I'm talking about Judea, which is like a little bit outside the city. It's this region. There's regions got to know what you think. And oh, yeah, in Samaria, that place you don't want to go, that place that you've already written off, they better know too. And you better go ahead, go over there. And to the ends of the earth. The pivot point in all of this is after giving us the greatest gift he could have given us, salvation and reconciliation with our Father that cannot be achieved on our own. After giving us that, he gives one more time. He empowers all of his people to then live how he lived. He says, no, 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 you're not coming with me right now. This car is not ready to leave the driveway. It's still got a little bit of work to do. I went ahead and provided you with the engine. I got you on the battery. There's some power to it. But after everything I've showed you, it's time for you to get in the car. It's time for you to turn the ignition. Push the brake, then push the clutch, then do this and the gas and whatever, however you drive stick. He says it's for you to drive this car. Until she's ready, until she's beautiful. I'm coming back. But I've left you my spirit. I've left you the empowerment to live how I lived. I've left you the equipment to live on mission and to build this kingdom that I've been preaching to you for the last three years. Jesus did not only come to bring life, Jesus did not only come to heal. Jesus did not only come to cast out all evil. Jesus did not only come to forgive. But he came to give us something to do with our lives. He came so that we can heal. So that we can forgive. So that we can cast out all evil. So that everyone may know. From Canton to Stark to Ohio to the whole world can know. That Jesus came to bring new life. And when he comes again, anyone who's lifted their hand, professed with their mouth in their entire lives that Jesus is Lord, you're coming too. Let's pray.